Hello, dancers. I'm your host, Brittany Chalk, and you're listening to the A Dancer's Guide podcast, a podcast designed to inspire, inform, and empower dancers by sharing the experiences of industry professionals. You can follow us on Instagram at A Dancer's Guide Official and check out our website, adancersguide.com, for more podcast details and on demand resources. Wherever you are listening from, I hope this podcast sparks inspiration and lends useful advice to help you along your unique dance journey. Welcome back to A Dancer's Guide podcast. I've got another great episode and inspiring guest for you today here to talk about finding your footing in the dance industry. From choreographing and producing live work through her very own dance company, to directing dance on film, to being a member of the dance faculty at Loyola Marymount University in LA, Caroline Liviakis is here to share her experiences from both an artistic and career point of view to help dancers pave their own way on their unique journey. So without further ado, I'm so happy to introduce Caroline Liviakis. Hi, Caroline. So good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you for for reaching out and wanting to to be a part of this. I'm super excited to hear about your journey and what you've done in in your career. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Well, why don't we start off? Could you introduce yourself a little bit? So uh, my name is Caroline Liviakis. I am currently, I'm a director, a film director and a choreographer. Um, In terms of just my, my personal, my background. I have grown up my entire life. I'm a California girl, uh, started my, my life or my, most of my life has been in the Bay area, kind of near around San Francisco. And then just very recently I made the move to Los Angeles and I kind of split my time between these two places. Um, I am the oldest of four siblings of four or four children. Um, I have, you know, two sisters and a brother and we're all, we all grew up doing musical theater together. We were a very musical theater household. We were kind of called the Von, half Von Trapp family um, <laughs> singers or, or dancers. And we grew up, you know, doing, and we were in the same theater company and then we eventually did dance. We were in the same dance company. So it was just kind of always a big part of my life growing up of, yeah. of performing, never thought of it as a career option, which we can get into that later. But um, the idea of, you know, bringing people together and performing and of exploring all these different interests, you know, things that really have always piqued me are uh, costume and fashion design and yes. music um, and, and composing and writing lyrics of, you know, film obviously of dance, of writing, you know, writing scripts, writing characters, writing poetry, any of these things. And so just, I've always kind of through my, my life, I've been trying to find something that encapsulates just all of these interests that have always piqued me and philosophy and psychology and all these other things um, that have really driven me throughout the years. That's amazing. Well, can you then share some of your unique dance journey with us? Okay. Um, I'm like (laughs) brief. Okay. So (laughs) in terms of just the layout, I guess, of just how I'll give just the the plot points and then we can kind of break some of these down, but um, started off just as most people, well, I started off doing musical theater as a child, then transitioned into what most people do, which is, you know, studying at studios, studying everything, ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, modern content, you know, all that stuff. Expert at none, mildly okay at all of them, (laughs) but never, you know, I was always kind of the person that people were like, I really enjoy watching you perform, 
because I knew how to convey things from mm. a theater perspective, but you're not that good <laughs> in terms of the technique was fault was not there. So I never envisioned myself as being this great dancer. I never was this great dancer. So it just never really piqued me as being a possibility career wise, um, because the focus usually tends to be on just how on technique and on being a really good, just dancer. Sure. And so, but I went to college, my whole focus was of, uh, I was going there to study law and to also eventually be a philosophy professor. I was studying philosophy and I was also a dance major, but it was more just because I wanted to move my body. It wasn't because I actually thought that I was going to do anything with it. But as I kept going along, I realized that eventually philosophy and law were not the right career paths for me. And so I kind of had this moment, I'm like, I have to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. I'm about to graduate. And so just in this kind of ah desperate attempt, I'm like, I want to do dance. I'm going to be a choreographer, but I didn't really know how to do it and get started. So just to buy me some time, I went to grad school for dance, um, finished that up. And then I started my dance company, Caroline Liviakis Dance Company in San Francisco. Nice. And then through that, I transitioned into film, being a film director. And so far I've Uh, directed and choreographed three short films and I'm on my way into doing my debut feature length film. Oh my gosh. I mean, what, what bullet points you have? That's incredible. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to do some deep dives into all of those things. Um, Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Okay. Let's just, let's just go from the, the start there then. So I've had so many people as well say to me that they've, they've gone to school for something that, you know, they thought they were supposed to go to school for medicine or anything like that. And then at the last minute, mm-hmm. they're like something deep down is telling them mm, go for dance. Like, yeah, it's just innately in them. And they've like switched it last minute or like just completely left school for the thing that they were supposed to do and have, have gone to dance and it's a calling sometimes and yeah. you just got to follow it. I think, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I I've heard so many stories like that. Yeah. So going to your dance company, then what made you decide to start Caroline Liviakis dance company? I always, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say always, but since whenever I, once I decided to, that I was going to follow the path of being a choreographer, I knew that mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses to this strategy, which we will get into. But I always, I knew that I wanted to be in control of my own artistic vision. Mm. And I did when you're, when you're a choreographer, you know, you have a couple, you have many, many different options of the way you can go about your career. A lot of them include, you know, you're, you're commissioned to create works for other dance companies, or you're hired to do some music video or whatever, which those are great things. And we need those. Yeah jobs but i i really started out with these i've i hold these very lofty artistic first kind of in, uh, intentions and so i wanted to be able to grow something that from the ground up that was entirely my own vision where i didn't have people you know completely compressing what my ideas were mm-hmm. and also that i because it's a very different style of dance and a very different kind of vision, I wanted to be able to put that out in its full force for people to really truly be immersed and understand exactly what I'm trying to put out there. And then eventually other projects could follow from that. But I just, I really was interested in growing something 
that was a full contained unit rather than just little tiny projects here and there. Yeah. So that's kind of the initial, the initial reason. And, and I was also interested in having the, the idea of having a group of dancers that I really trained with my own technique and they would Mm. grow with me through the years and do my projects um, with me versus just, okay, great. I have this group of dancers I've never worked with. I have to kind of do a crash course in, all of my little intricate style things, but you can't quite do it because you only have three hours to rehearse and to do it again and again and again. They needed a longer process. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So what kind of styles uh, were utilized within the company that you tried to portray? If it's one of those things, it's so, I have a very hard time still to this day describing it. When you, when you see it, you totally get, it's like, okay, this is a very Caroline, you know, people will say that's such a Caroline piece or like, (laughs) Um, but it's technically like contemporary with jazz with a lot of very fossey elements, but it pulls very strongly from hip hop. It pulls very strongly from ballet as well, or contemporary ballet. And then sometimes in certain pieces, you'll see tango, you'll see salsa, you'll see Irish step dance, disco, like all of these little different influences I pull through. I'm very much like grab little bits out of every basket that I possibly. Yeah. Cause that's just what my background came from. I, I held zero loyalty to any specific style. And for me, that's a huge asset because then in terms of creating something brand new, I'm not just making a slightly better ballet piece. I'm creating an entirely new aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. To, to blend all of those styles together, yeah. the yeah. possibilities are endless. <laughs> really, really. And, and with your, like you said, lofty visions, uh, artistic visions. Yeah. You got a lot to work with a lot of things, like you said, to pull from. Yeah. And also another thing I forgot to add though, was super theatrical. So, I mean, my, my musical theater background did not stop just at the yeah. theater space. So in, in, I guess a, a very key, a couple of very key differences within my style as compared to a lot of other dance styles is that I view my dancers as individual characters rather than being, you know, it, these kind of amorphous, these bodies just moving around in space when I'm communicating my, to my dancers, I'm talking to them as though they're performing a very specific character with a very specific narrative, even if it's this more thematic sort of mm. piece. And they, they're supposed to communicate themselves as a person first. It's very energetic and it's very theatrically driven. And the technique is very needed as well. But we mm. first come from this place of performance and their whole goal is I want you to not only connect to the audience, I want you to make it where they cannot get their eye off of you. I don't Mm -hmm. want them scanning around. I want them to be absolutely not only seduced by you, but to be scared of you. I want them to, I want there to be this powerful sort of energy. And then the technique helps support that, that connection. But I, I don't approach it just from, okay, you're creating this line and then you go into this line and then eventually go, hey, smile, right. you know, but like, which happens a lot of times where we just tack that on at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You give like a whole backstory and like there's a reason and just through the movement, the audience can tell what that character is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So I'm always interested in people who run their own companies. Is there, was there ever like a battle for you of like running the business side of it, but also 
being the artistic director of the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, <laughs> and that was genuinely the biggest issue for yeah. sure. Um, so I ended up uh, just to kind of like put it. So I ended up shutting down the company to move to Los Angeles. Gotcha. And that was the, one of the biggest things that or learning lessons that I had yeah. from the experience is because I was the executive artistic director. So the executive director is the business side, artistic director, you're creating the artistic side. So bat, you know, battling it out by doing both jobs at the same time, which I needed to, because of funds, you know, I, I just, there was not enough funds to hire somebody else, but it was just, it's kind of slightly impossible it to really yeah. fully do it. And also not only is it kind of impossible in some ways in terms of just effort, because you just get so burned out. Um, it also doesn't work because those two different positions require such different mindsets. Yes. And naturally, very naturally, I'm leaned toward the artistic director side. And so I kept finding myself, it was just always, there was always a shortcoming in terms of the business side of things. And I was able to get it to some degree, but I knew that there was just something missing. And I think there's also something to be said about having someone, as much as I wanted control over my projects, there is something to be said about somebody not checking you, but for there to be a little bit of a, of the scales being balanced a little bit in some way being accountable almost. Yeah. There were just some decisions where I, that I made that I think someone from a business perspective would have made that would have been better in the long run. Mm. Like I would, I would spend, I was like, I don't care about social media. We're not going to spend any money on that, which was a huge mistake. And instead I would spend a lot of money on costumes because I wanted to I had a very specific vision of these characters have to wear these kind of costumes or my piece doesn't work. Right. But it ended up just, even though we had beautiful works, it then long run, not investing in these other kind of things ended up just, it, it caught up after a while. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the bane of every, you know, business owner's existence is trying to move the business forward monetarily. Right. But also like, you've made the business. There's obviously like a passion behind it, whatever it is. Yeah. We leave our typical nine to five jobs, right. To create our yeah. own businesses sometimes, but those businesses end up being like a 24 hour job oh, yeah. <laughs> because you're constantly doing so many things. You're responsible for people, yeah. um, especially in a, in a dance company and things like that. So would there be anything that if you were to start another company, would you just say have a partner, like do it with someone else? So that would be any advice on that? Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to be different. Everybody's situation is going to be different, but, and I, I do intend in the much in the great greater future to reopen it, but for it to have a very different structure. Um, when, um, in case anybody's kind of interested in starting their own company, one of the biggest, the first decisions you have to make is whether or not you're going to open up your company as a for-profit or a non-profit structure, which that is by far the most important decision that you will make. Um, It dictates everything. Even the it's, it not only dictates the whole business outline, but it dictates the kind of art you're going to create. And I decided a non-profit structure, which I realized later down the line was not appropriate. It was not the right decision for the kind Mm. of art that I make. 
and, and also just the type of person that I am. I hate asking people for money. So anytime we needed it, rather than going out and fundraising, I would just open up my bank. I'd get another job. I'd open up my own bank account. And I just, cause I just, I hate asking people for money. And I just, I think the not the for-profit would have made more sense mm-hmm. for my mindset and also the more commercial aesthetic of my work. Because when you're, when you're doing a nonprofit company, you are either at the will of, in, of private uh, donors of, of individual donations, which you usually only have that if you've been in the industry for a really long time and have nurtured those contacts, yeah. or if you have really rich friends <laughs> that are seriously, yeah. uh, or if you're super rich yourself, or I've known people that have started dance companies where they start it with somebody that has a crazy amount of money and they want to be involved in the arts, but really they're just, they're, they're just signing the checks. Mm. And then the other person is running the more artistic side of things. Yeah. Um, but with this case, I had none of that. <laughs> so it was just like, so then the, your other option is grants, but those grants are very specific in terms of they're going to dictate the kind of art that you make. Yeah. It's like, we want you to make something that is about, climate change. And we want you to make it where it's showcasing community building. And okay, so now I have to go make up a piece about this topic just for this grant that I don't really probably have a chance of getting. Mm -hmm. So it dictates every sort of bit that you're just constantly chasing these little, these very specific requirements for these grants Yeah. versus just pow, here's my stuff, get tickets, you'll meet people, you'll have fun, which, you know, that's kind of more my jam. So yeah, yeah, no, that's a great piece of advice. Thank you for that. Amazing. So you actually found your passion for filmmaking through your company. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. So what is it about film? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. (laughs) What is it about film that drew you to it so fiercely? There are so many reasons I could talk about this for hours. There's a couple things that are very specific to me that Um, when I was choreographing these live shows and I would watch, I would hear people's reactions, you know, oh my God, it was so this, it was so that, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd watch the video, you know, recorded in a tripod in the back or whatever. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm just like, it, it's great, but I'm not seeing and feeling the same thing that people are talking about. And right. it was just so it would just really bothered me because I wanted to, because I was dancing and almost every that's another thing. Don't do <laughs> you were in, was the, you were in it. Oh no. Oh, it was so, yeah. Yeah. So many mistakes, by the way. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> that's how you learn. It's okay. Oh yeah. So, I never got to experience one of my shows cause I'm dancing and everything and running it and everything. And so I'm watching these videos and I'm like, I'm just, I'm so bummed. Cause I'm like, I'm not seeing it, but I know that it was good. Mm. So I'm, it, it, that kind of started in my head, just the little, it was the little, you know, tickle in my brain or whatever of, I want to figure out how to make my work read on film. And obviously sit a video tripod in the back. We're not, we're not, that's not in the same realm as a film, but I just, I wanted to be able to have something that lasted past the live performance that reflected what my original intention was. Yeah. You know, because it's just it's a, a live performance with you sitting there right there with the dancer. With, that's what I'm designing 
it for. But if I'm designing it for the camera, we're having a totally different conversation of what we're doing artistically. And then also another thing was I found my choreography is super gestural coming from the theatrical element, but it's filled with a ton of facial expressions. And I choreograph the face to a level of detail that's kind of, that's very rare. It's I'm choreographing, you know, flicks of the eyelids, corners of the mouth being lifted. I mean, I get to a very, very specific level of detail. Mm -hmm. And, and then the fingers, it's a lot of very specific gestures. I'm very hand, hand and face kind of a choreographer. And I just found that that level of detail obviously was getting lost on a big stage. And so the other stuff was looking great, but I'm like, it's even better if you can see it, you know, even closer. Yeah. And so to have a medium that is, where you can do, I I can film your nose and I could, you know, just, just do a nose dance if I wanted to. I mean, really, (laughs) I, I, I I didn't go that far, but I would do face dances. So that's kind of how my integration started is I started through integrating these projected videos that we had, you know, recorded these projected films in the background and had the dancers interact with them and dance with them. And so I was choreographing both at the same time. And then eventually I was like, okay, let's make an actual film, just a standalone film and see how it goes. But I started with just these face dances where I'm just recording, you know, shoulders to top of the head. And I'm just recording the eyes and the, in the, the movements of the shoulders. And, and it was just, it's film is just so fantastic in that sense where you have so much more artistic control Mm. than you do with a live show. Um, and you're able to create an experience that people cannot have in a live performance, which live performances are fantastic. That is my ultimate love, but it's really nice to sort of have, to have both and to have film as this option, this creative outlet of okay, well, I want to see what this dance looks like from above. I want to see, because you could, there are so many things you can do from above. Um, I want to see what it looks like with just someone moving their hands or let's take this dance. You know, this dance really should be placed in a bar. Well, in a live show, I can't really, I can't do that, but I can have in the same film, I can have the dancer be in a bar and dancing. I can never go and dance on the Golden Gate Bridge, whatever. <laughs> and it's all in the same thing. Right. So I really, really love that, that flexibility and that storytelling capability that film really adds on and brings to dance. Absolutely. Yes. I think with the film, like you said, you're in control of what the viewer sees, Mm -hmm. right. Versus a live show. They could be staring at the curtains for all, you know, (laughs) you know, you're not in control of where their eyes are yet with film. They see exactly the art that you want to present. Yes. Well, and another thing just to add on to that um, is, and I I read this really interesting article that was talking about the rise or the creation of the modern day or modern, we're talking like, you know, historically modern uh, movie star and why, because theater stars have always existed, Yeah, but they haven't had the same type of, of crazy fanatic following that movie stars have. And the question was why? Mm. And one of the biggest or the, the big thing that this person talked about in this article was the close-up, the or not the invention of the close-up, but the 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 ability to go close up in a film, it 
elevates a person beyond anything that theater ever could beyond anything a spotlight could ever do because you're bringing a close-up is bringing you the viewer into the performer's consciousness in some way you get to see their eyes right up there and it's and not only is it right there but if if you're seeing it on a in the theater it's projected on this gigantic screen so you feel like you're almost entering into their consciousness and so you're becoming kind of one with them which so there's something to be said about when you're creating characters and you're and you're also creating something that is you want to be this larger than life sort of thing being able to bring dance but adding these other elements of taking it closer up and and you get to really see the dancers as these characters but also these people versus just performers on a stage right you kind of get like into their personal space a bit yeah and almost feel connected to them right like we feel like we know these celebrities yeah we know these movie stars because yeah I guess we are we feel close to them when we watch them on the big screen right yeah oh really interesting yeah. I know a lot of dancers that kind of dabble in media arts. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be quite a natural medium for us to transition to or, or add to our portfolio of work. And I think it's mainly because it's another form of visual expression as well. And it captures it so well. Yeah. Um, it really goes hand in hand. So I just want to get your opinion on why you think dance and film work so well together. The biggest, I guess why it's a natural progression for a lot of choreographers is because film in many ways is choreographing. You're just choreographing, you're not choreographing the body necessarily, but you're choreographing a series of images. Mm -hmm. So the mentality really crosses over pretty seamlessly. As long as you're able to understand the visual, a visual language of the film, you're just using a slightly different visual language. But the idea of having a rhythmic flow, like editing, the process of editing is genuinely, it's choreographing. You're finding a rhythm, you're finding a very specific timing, and you're thinking of how one thing, even if it's just someone talking, how does that flow into the next thing? And are we going to focus on just one person? Is it solo time or is it time to get an idea of the group or the setting, which you have those decisions, all those decisions happen when you're choreographing. Mm. So it just, that sort of mentality and that kind of planning, I think has just really natural crossover. Um, Also, I think that, I mean, just the obvious fact that they're two visual mediums, but, and, and it, and it just gives a new life to dance, but also just from a practical perspective, ever since COVID happened, I mean, I've seen it's It's like every dancer is now a filmmaker, which, you know, has its pluses and minuses, um, you know, but, um, but it's just kind of, it's very interesting how this definitely has been something that was, the idea of dance and film has been around, but it has been a very small, it's still super niche. When I go to film festivals, it's, and we can talk about that, but it's just you, you as a dance person, it's still not very recognized as a form. You're still considered kind of unimportant because you're doing dance. Yeah. But so there's a lot that has to happen in terms of gaining recognition and, and respect in that sort of field, but it just out of necessity, it's sort of had to grow. Yeah into this big thing so we can at least get our art out there. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing, amazing. Well, speaking of dance films, let's go into some of the works you've produced. I know 
your film entitled Boys and Girls is currently on the film festival circuit. Yes. Can you tell me a bit more about that film, um, how you produced it and kind of the concept behind it? And we'll get into your other ones in a bit. Yeah. So, okay. So Boys and Girls, it's this short, purely dance film. It features this boy and this girl, and they're in this seductive battle for power. And it's this game of cat and mouse where yeah. they are these two narcissistic, selfish, <laughs> powerful beings, and they they are ready to take each other down and prove that they are the one on top. But there's this little kind mm. of seductive game as part of that, you know. Yeah. So, um, but that and and it features this very uh it's modern jazz style but with a lot of martial arts influences and with a lot of salsa tango influences as well the the film had held its world premiere at the really prestigious mill valley film festival this past october and it's and uh it's has many more festivals to go this coming year once the festival yeah. circuit starts up again um it features i'm dance i'm dancing in it i also directed and choreographed nice. it um, it features as well. My, my co-dancer is Paul Barris, who he's dancer on, he's been on dancing with the stars. So you think you can dance, dance your ass off <laughs> quite the, you know, quite the resume, but he's a, yeah. he's a very, 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 very talented Latin ballroom dancer. And so when we came together, you know, I'm bringing my background, which is much more, look at me, I'm in, you know, just look at me, I'm in the mirror, blah, blah, blah. And then we bring his partnering background into it. And mm -hmm. so we're kind of integrating the style sort of integrates those two worlds of we're kind of partnering, but we never actually touch until the end. So oh. it's this back and forth where we're going around each other and but so we're integrating partnering dynamics with act without actual real partnering. Very cool. Very cool. How long is this short film? Like how, I don't, I don't know how long a short film is. Oh, no, no, no. They're pretty short. So this one is uh, like five minutes and 30 seconds, about five minutes okay. and 30 Interesting. seconds. Interesting. Uh, well, congratulations on getting that into the film festivals. That's an incredible achievement. Now you also have one that you've done in the past in easy out breezy. Can you tell me a bit about that one? I love the title. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's another, that's the thing I love. Like I'm a very word person. I love, I oftentimes before I create a piece, I will create the title and then mm. I figure out what the piece is. It's like, what is a piece that like, like chewing gum? What is a piece called like chewing gum look like? And then I'll create it. That one I started creating a little bit and then I created the title. But, um, so that piece is, it's a, makeup commercial slash dance film. It's not an actual makeup commercial, but it's a dance film that follows this fictitious makeup brand called the Very Berry Collection. And it's a line of six lipsticks, all in different, six different shades of pink. And it, the commercial is, it features the Very Berry girls, which they are, we have Rebel Berry, Berry Chic, uh, Alternative Berry, Sexy Berry, Cutie Berry, and Glamour Berry. So Ooh. they're all these, yes. And they each, in their, their entire outfit, they each represent one of the lipsticks in the collection. And their entire outfit is that same exact shade of lipstick that they're representing. And so yeah. the idea behind it is they are one of the type of girls that you can be while wearing lipstick in the collection. So mm. are you glamour berry or are you alternative berry? Are you berry chic or are you sexy berry? 
And so it's, it kind of showcases in a really fun, playful way, but it's kind of playing off the idea of you can be any of these different girls, but as long as you have this one shade of lipstick. And so it's kind of playing off the idea of all of these different, of selling all these different identities and these different girls you can be, but it's in a very sort of commercialized pre-packaged sort of way. Yeah. And then within that, I have a face dance. There's also, it's kind of sandwiched in between this face dance that it starts and ends the piece where it's these two models that have the lipstick on, but they're doing this face dance and through the face dance, they're competing with each other. They're basically competing with each other to gain your attention. And so they're using tactics of pouting of the silent treatment of of crying of all these little things and then and then once they gain your attention they don't need it anymore because they're too beautiful and they're too good to be craving your attention so it's kind of featuring this sort of battle of I'm trying to gain your attention and am I going to gain it through being cute being sexy am I getting and how am I going to concoct my identity in, in order to sort of gain the most attention possible oh my god that sounds like so much fun <laughs> <laughs> oh and also another thing sorry it includes um it include the the piece kind of a big cornerstone or whatever of this film mm-hmm. um is that it, it includes an audience participation section Ooh. so that so all the very berry girls come out and they're doing this kind of it's very inspired by the the way we shot it is very inspired by the Macarena music video which I think is one of the most brilliant music videos ever and people laugh when I say that but I will argue that to the ends of the (laughs) earth (laughs) I'm no joke I think I've watched that music video now 200 times I don't think I've ever seen a music video obviously I've heard the song but now I'm gonna go watch watch it it. (laughs) watch it I mean there's yeah it's I just think because I think simplicity and there's you people poo poo on things that are that are pop and that you know pop and pink and fashion and all this stuff but in order to get a song or a dance or whatever that is simple memorable and that is easily caught on by other people and is spread throughout out the entire globe that takes so much talent and so much forethinking in terms of in terms of what actually are people going to gravitate to there's there's only one Macarena. There's only one hustle. There's only, there's so many stupid, simple dances out there that didn't catch on like these others did. Yeah. So I think, you know, to, and that's one issue that I found when we took this film out is I'm taking this, it's girl, it's these cute girls and they're pink and it's lipstick. And, but it has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of interesting ideas behind it. A lot of technical um, you know, ability behind mm. it, but a lot of these very serious film people are like, oh, it looks, it's cute. Oh, that's a cute project. Right. That's nice. That's because they see it's pink and it's girls and then they think that it, they don't need to take it seriously. But there's depth and, behind it. But there is, exactly. Yeah. And I just, uh, to me, that that marks somebody, not only that's closed-minded, but also yeah. that's not truly a real artist. Because if you can't recognize art in its very in its vast array of different forms then you're not looking for art you're looking for one specific thing that you like to create yourself and you're looking for it to be verified with other people yes so um and so with the audience participation section that was another so we we have this we have a cued in the film where i before the film begins i teach everybody it's these four hand gestures and it's super simple. They do it while sitting in their seats. Yeah. And then in the film, the girls start doing it and it cues the audience and they're sitting there bouncing around in their seat doing the hand gestures. Audiences love it. Yeah. 
And it was, it's one of these things where it's like, I'm super interested in the future of getting people involved actively in their films because people are not going to the theater anymore just to watch a film. So the idea of having other elements in there to involve people either communally or through actually participating with the film or whatever it is, I have, there are many different ideas that we can talk about that I have, but it's, but that is what's going to bring film back to life for people and what's going to drag people to the theater, not just plopping something on the screen and charging them 20 bucks to rent a seat for an hour and a half. Yeah. So, and this was one of those things where musical theater, dance people, and honestly, just regular people loved this concept. Those super, you know, nose in the air film people were like, why are, why are they dancing? Right. Like they're not going to, the people are not going to want to dance with the film. And I said, okay, well, let's try it and let's see how it works. And it worked. It's hard. It's hard to break the ice with it, but it works. (laughs) I can just imagine like being in the theater, watching this and just like dancing in my seat. Like how much fun (laughs) would that be versus yeah, just sitting there like falling asleep half the time. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. I love that. The last one is kind of under wraps because it's, it's brand new. And it's not currently out yet, but tell me as much as you can about Lessons in Love. So Lessons in Love is, it's my debut feature length film. It's, we're going to be shooting it near the end of this year. There's so much still in the work. So there's, so I have to be coy with things and anything like that, but it's, but it's a dance musical. So I'm calling it a dance musical. So it's a re-envisioning of the classical, the classic movie musical genre where in terms of, so it, with a classic movie musical or a classic musical, you usually have, there's there's ones that include dialogue and then there's more of the opera ones, like the Les Mis, you know, yes. Joseph and the Technical or Dream, or Amazing Technical or Dreamcoat. But I'm just going to ignore the opera ones. We're just going to talk about the, <laughs> the ones that you usually see, like Sound of Music and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So you have your, your it's you have dialogue and then ta-da, they break out into dance and song. And then we revert back to dialogue. Then ta-da, which I love that. I know. I'm a sucker for it. We're a sucker for it. (laughs) But we're musical theater, you know, geeks. So we like it. But what I've been, whenever I bring up the idea of a musical, so many people that I, they're like, uh, uh." I know. There's so much hate out there for musicals, which I don't understand, but I'm trying to think of, so it, I've just been thinking, cause there's so much that musicals have to offer, but I think that people, they, they're, they're like, oh, it's cheesy. It's this, it's that. Okay. Well, how can we somewhat, we keep the same idea and the same energy and the same fun element of a musical, but how do we slightly change the dynamic so that it's not a hundred percent that cliche of talk. And then we break out and sing randomly. And then the songs don't oftentimes don't totally relate to the story. They're just communicating emotion, which we love, but how can we sort of weave this, these two together so that the dance and the song and the music are actually communicating the story and it's a little bit more interwoven right. with the dialogue. So it's almost like the, and, and that it's composed and it's choreographed in a way where even pedestrian movements have a little bit of a rhythm to them. They have mm. a little bit of choreography. So it's almost like 
you're watching one seamless dance or it's almost like you're hearing one seamless soundtrack. Even the dialogue will have a little bit of a rhythm to it. Oh, I love that. So that's kind of the idea with any pro any feature film project that I've been writing. And that's going to, yeah. that's the idea, but that's the idea behind this film is that we're, we're taking, I don't know if anybody has, has seen this, but I'm a huge fan of Edgar Wright. He's the director of Scott Pilgrim versus the world baby driver. Um, those are kind of the two ones that I, really to the most, but he's directed a lot of other stuff. Um, yeah. But he is a very, I, I think of his films, they're musicals, but they're action, they're action musicals. Yeah. Where it's taking pre-found music and everything, he designs all of the action, a lot of the dialogue to the music, or at least it has a structure, a rhythmic structure to it. And you have all these guys that because it's action and because it's, you know, fighting, you know, these video game nerd battles. It's like, oh, that's so cool. And they like it because it has this musical structure, but it's just a, a, a topic that they can relate to a little bit more. Sure. And it's in, in this, the way that it's stylized is so much, it's so much more seamless and interwoven. So I, I'm taking that sort of idea, that, that kind of structure and that sort of that energized, high-paced editing aesthetic and then transferring it to something a little bit more girly and cute and fun. <laughs> so do you think there's like this gender clash? Oh yeah, for sure. You, you've been stopped because you did this whole lipstick, pink, bubbly sort of thing. Yes. Not that it's stopped you from producing it or making work, but it seems like there have been critics that have said things to you because of it versus if it was right like you said baby driver of being this car action movie maybe you wouldn't have gotten that sort of pushback yeah 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 there, I mean, we're obviously living in a time where things are like yeah go you know badass woman go like yeah. she kicks ass she does this yeah but the characters that they're designing there it's we're having female leads in so many of our films now but if you look at the actual content of the films it's highly masculine yeah like the most of the films that are being made are very masculine films. Mm. Okay, that's fine, but I I, I enjoy a girly like yeah. I enjoy very feminine things, Absolutely. and so and there's an audience for that, and there's a huge audience for that, mm -hmm. and kind of I I find like we're kind of right now being forced to it's either you have serious drama or you have the superhero action, and there will be a girl that's the lead, but it's just still like regular action stuff yeah or you have you know a comedy where it's you know guys farting on each other and whatever <laughs> so it's like okay where you know there's uh, romantic comedies not really being made much anymore mm. musicals not really that much but also even then the content within them is still not there's just a, a distinct lack of femininity in a lot of our in our fashion right now in there's this is starting to change though but in our fashion in a lot of our in our movies and I'm personally interested in bringing back the idea of we can have a woman as the lead because all of my films are have lead female characters it's just because I write them out after myself so yeah. you know <laughs> but we can have them kick ass and be awesome and also be flawed they don't just have to be this stupid cliche but they also can kick ass in a feminine female oriented yeah. world love it Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, something you shared with me in the prep for this podcast um, was that you, you know, you have a, this mission to make dance an integral part of the story and not just a sideshow. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that. I love that 
concept and then that you shared that with me. Um, can you just elaborate a bit more on how you're striving to change that narrative going forward? So this, I can kind of describe it in sort of two ways. So I'll sort of describe it first, the music video way. So just, and not in terms of story, but just in terms of dance being on the side, like dance in general. And I think all of us dancers have felt this, but in my grad school program, I'm in a graduate school program for dance and we are, our dance studios are literally in the basement of the PE room. Oh, wow. Okay. But we are literally, we're a full dance program and we're considered a part of the PE program. We're not even in our own department, not even considered in the the, the visual performing arts. So I think any sort of dancer, we've always sort of felt this thing where it's like, we're always, we're usually one of the last forms of art that anyone thinks about or cares about. There's the least amount of money that goes toward dance. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's, it's just one of the most brutal, even though all art forms are brutal to make a career from, I would argue that dance is probably the hardest for many reasons. So there, this doesn't exactly end there. It it permeates through even the top levels of where dance is performed. To me, it's really sad and kind of depressing to see these amazing dancers because I get to work with them. They're these, they're trained at some of the top places, like and then they get a, they're training their whole lives and then they get an agent and they're doing their LA thing. And then their one, their big break is going and twerking their booty in a Justin Timberlake video. And this is a trained ballerina and, yeah. and I, it's just, but, and her big moment is to have five seconds of featured time grinding against Justin Timberlake <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. But it's just right. like, and, and even if you reach the, the tippy top of what's considered amazing, you know, oh, I danced in this film, I danced in this film, I danced sure. in You're in the background. No one yeah. cares about who the dancers are. Except dancers. Except dancers, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's just, it's a very sad thing to me. And yeah. I really would like to change that, but that's not going to happen if we continue placing dance as a background to things. Like when you're doing... Uh, a music video. Okay. We have the lead artist. Everything is about the artist. And then we cut to one shot of them dancing in front of a bunch of face lead. We don't even see their faces. Usually a bunch of dancers and they're doing their in unison, you know, sort of thing, exactly what the artist is doing. And then we cut away and okay. Cause we really need to see, you know, Ariana Grande in another, whatever you know, outfit, or it's yeah. like, so there, there are some artists that do videos where it, it features the dance. I mean, obviously like Sia, you know, has those videos that feature the dancers more, but yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm so much more interested in how can we sort of bring dancers to the forefront? Yeah. So with film or with musicals, it's also very, very similar because you have, okay, well, we're cutting to a piece. It's you have the lead, which okay, they need to act and they need to sing. But these days, the idea of a triple threat is so far gone. It's, it's so sad. And so you don't, we're not requiring our leads, even in musicals these days to even be able to sing. They don't sing, they don't dance, but okay, they do a one month crash course. And all of a sudden they can be a star of a musical. Oh yeah. And then you have the real people that have been training their whole lives. And then they get their one moment of twirling in the background on a, with a sunset. And we love it. And that's the sad part. And we, we go, oh my God, yay. And then we get excited because it's like, oh, they brought a musical back. But it's like, 
No, they didn't. Because in real musicals, you have real musical theater talented people. You have real dancers dancing these lead parts and you're designing lead roles around someone that actually has those abilities. But when you have a bunch of people that are not able to dance and sing, well, guess what? The roles are not going to be designed that way. So there kind of has to be this sort of re-envisioning that has to happen, which it is definitely a very hard battle and it's not very pleasant to fight right now, but I'm trying, I'm, but I'm very interested in creating, first of all, lead characters that they have to dance. I would rather not make the film than have somebody who can act, but who cannot dance to save their life. And I have to cut away to a a body double or whatever dancing in a far, like that's not going to happen. You have to be, you have to be these two things. Yeah. And so the lead is dancing and not only are they dancing and all of the other featured characters, they have to dance too. Um, but those dance movements are integrated within telling the story. I'm not just going to cut and be like, okay, this is our happy dance. Mm. Okay. Script script. Okay. This is our sad dance. Okay. And we have a bunch of backup people, whatever. Okay. Let's cut back to the real story as w- if we start to integrate dance and also music and singing, but primarily dance within actually communicating a narrative and communicating story, people will start to realize that it's more essential than just being this like fluffy, we're waving our hands and jazz hands, fingers, you know, side piece, which I think a lot of people think it's just this like fun thing that sort of is a little mild amusement, but it's almost the equivalent of just eating the nutritional value of eating popcorn, you know, it's like, it somewhat keeps you occupied and is a little greasy and yummy, but it's not really fulfilling you long-term. All right. And like, why aren't we expecting our leads that act and possibly sing to have the same level of dance ability? Like why have we let them off, off the hook, I guess, in some way. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Off the hook. Like why, why is that taken precedence versus dance? I mean, I'm, I'm not obviously expecting you to have an answer to that, but you know, yeah. like I just question, I want dancers to be in the forefront, a company that I used to work for RWS entertainment group. They have an all dance show on one of their ships, um, that they do. And it's like no singers or anything like that. And it's just dance. And, and for me coming mm. from the ship world as well is stunning. Like f- for me, yeah, I was a background dancer and the singers were up front, and, you know, I did my yeah. thing around the back and filled time when they needed a costume change. But there are people like you who want that change and it is going to take all of us to, to make that change. Yeah. One of the things that I think, I mean, this is kind of a, I I guess a strange thing to get optimistic about, especially I'm so like, I hate social media. It's so not my thing, (laughs) but like, but one thing I do think is kind of somewhat encouraging in some weird way is the rise of TikTok in the fact of how dance focused TikTok is. Yeah. Um, I've kind of, and I've said this before, but I kind of equate in my mind, TikTok really seems like our modern day vaudeville in many ways where it's like you have a bunch of people and they have their tiny little moment to do their, they have their thing that they're known for. And they, they, okay. I'm not just the dancer that I'm totally pulling this out of my rear end because I don't know, (laughs) but it's like, I'm not just the dancer that does hip hop. I do hip hop with a jump rope or like whatever you have all these different people. They're trying to find their voice and they're trying to find their little niche, Mm -hmm. you know, thing that they can find their audience with. And 
but it's exposing people to actually not only just consume dance, but then you're participating with them, which is kind of a cool concept. And I think can really lead down the line to something that's not, I shot this in my bedroom, but okay. Uh, dance and you're participating with it on a TV or film scale. But if we're thinking historically, okay, we had vaudeville, but then what came from that was this really ripe, juicy dance and music, musical theater era. And so I don't necessarily see that not being likely to happen. I mean, I, I, I think we just came out of a freaking pandemic where we were sitting inside, captivated up. Do we really want to watch something that's super sad and dramatic and that's we've had, we've had decades of most of our movies being these very specific genres. I think people want something a little lighter. I think they want to laugh. They want to have music in their lives. They want to move. They want to have something more energetic. So to move, I I see maybe not in the next couple of years, but I definitely see for sure in the next 10 years that we are going to move more toward that more a live positive sort of entertainment style just because of first of all the decades we've had without it but also just for what we went through yeah yeah we want to be entertained we want to laugh a little bit and have some joy Mm -hmm. injected back into our lives because we've been so stripped of it for so long now I love that I love that parallel very spectacular too like yeah every because if everything like joke things are so meta now everything's like it, it's just, we're so, everything is about being like self-aware, which self-awareness is great, but I mean like on a cultural level in terms of, and on a um, media level, everything's sure. like always about, it, there's just such a cynicism associated with so much of the stuff we consume. And so I just, I think the people need a break from that and yeah. need something that feels larger than life. And that's going to escort them into this this paradise of for even two hours of just something to get a delightful break you know (laughs) absolutely I'm 100% agree with that I really want to dive more into kind of finding one's place within the industry you know and I think that can be quite a daunting and, and difficult task especially when you're first starting out you know, you, you don't know if you're going to quote unquote make it, but I wholeheartedly believe Mm -hmm. that there's a place for everyone in the industry, whether that's, yes, you make it professionally or you're twerking next to Justin Timberlake or, (laughs) um, or you make it to Broadway (laughs) or whatever, you know, that, that major goal is, even if none of those things come to you creating your own opportunities, right? I created a dancer's guide because I moved to the UK and I wasn't dancing as much professionally as I was in the States. And it was kind of a transition in my life, but I stayed connected to the industry because I want to be in it. Yeah. So it's that work you put into it, right? Whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. So what is some practical advice that you could give listeners about getting your foot in the door or even creating those opportunities for yourself to be in the industry? Um, the biggest piece of advice, and I give this to my students, which they often don't want to hear, which is the, seriously though, um, at <laughs> this past, this last semester, I was teaching a, a course called Dance Careers, uh, which, you know, fits very nicely into this, but um, I'd rather be the person that is a little bit Debbie Downer, but that's more realistic in terms of, okay, this is what's going on right now in the industry than to be someone to just, you know, shoot, you know, confetti into the sky, even though it's not real. Yeah. But a lot of the students really didn't like that. They were like, <laughs> really. And so, and I had a couple, you know, people come in like guests, uh, really, really awesome, you know, famous dancers and mm. 
come in and give to give talks about their experience and and the I remember the the kids being because I had just given them this whole lecture on basically how to start your dance if you want to start a dance company how do you start it yeah and then I was breaking down the financials of how much money do you need to put on a show how much money do you need to do this to do that if you want to start it a lot of them wanted to start nonprofits how much money do you need to start a nonprofit what is the yearly paperwork you have to do all this stuff mm. and so you're getting bogged down and all this and they're like I just I mean, you're so negative all the time. So it was so nice to have someone just tell us you can do it and it's great. And with these other guests coming in, I went, okay, I get it. Cause we all need a little bit of a relief sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the same boat, just in a slightly different way of like, you need some encouragement, but at the same time, entering into the dance field with an understanding of, of the limitations, I guess, or the challenges you're going to face is I think a lot healthier than not. Yeah. Being a, just a straight up dancer with nothing else is these days very, very hard. Like I'm not going to say impossible. It's not impossible, but it's pretty close. It's dance companies are going further and further away from having a, um, from having contracted, dancers like you have San Francisco ballet and like ones that are those levels. Mm. Sure. They're, they're going to have salaried dancers. Sure. But anything short of that, it doesn't make fine. People cannot financially make it. So the idea of, unless you're going to get into one of those companies and your lifespan within that company, if you're lucky, if you're super lucky and you stay healthy, you stay sound injury wise, and you're really good. Maybe eight years. I don't know. That's being, I think really generous. Yeah. What do you do after that? And then meanwhile, oftentimes these dancers are teaching as well. They're teaching master classes or teaching at the, right. So just having an understanding of, okay, you've been training for something your whole life. That isn't actually what you're going to be doing most of the time I've been training mm. and I've been working my whole life in certain degrees to be a choreographer I spend maybe if I'm lucky 5% of my time actually choreographing. I know. No joke. Like most yeah. likely it's more like 1%. Most of my time is writing mm. <laughs> on your computer all the freaking time. You're you're cuz you're managing people. Yeah. You're dealing with lawyers, you're dealing with accountants, you're dealing with all this kind of garbage that you never thought you'd ever have to deal with. But in order to do the to have a couple minutes of doing the one thing you actually like, you have to do all this other stuff. So yeah. Just coming in with that knowledge, but understanding that these days the industry is demanding not only that you can just be a dancer, you have to create your own opportunities. There, the idea of just making it alone off of just auditioning and then the studio is just going to have me in their system and I'm just going to get booked and booked and booked and booked and booked. Even those people that have agents, they have to make a lot of the projects happen that they get, they might get maybe three projects a year from their agent, mm. but the rest of them, they have to get themselves through yeah. connections. So, and then also like you can't like, for instance, in the comedy world, like you can't just be a stand-up comedian anymore. You have to have a podcast. You have to do like all these right. other things. So, yeah. Seriously. You have to sort of generate your own, uh, your own audience, which has great potential, but it's also so much more work than it used to be because so those gatekeepers don't really exist as much anymore and they don't have as much stronghold. So, yeah. um, which means you have to create it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's tough to hear, but it's the reality. Yeah. And yeah, 
although yes, we're chasing this, the dream that we've always had as, as dancers, as artists, there's a life out there and there's life things that are going to get in the way as well. Yeah. There's work that goes on behind the scenes that you've got to be prepared for. And, and, yeah. you know, through this podcast and, and through some of the things that I do, I try to help dancers understand what to expect, but it's mm-hmm. difficult until you get into it to actually put it yeah. into words and, and understand completely what that behind the scenes work means and feels like for you. So, yeah, you'll never know until you just, you, until you do it and you experience these Absolutely. things firsthand. Something I, th- I think to consider when you're trying to find your place in the industry is <laughs> sometimes the industry has a path already in plan for you. Uh, I very much believe that of mm. we may go into our careers young and thinking, right, I'm going to make it on Broadway. I'm going to be in this film, you know, the biggest goals, right. Of for, for dancers, for artists, yeah. but just being open to that path shifting along the way. Yeah. Yep. You know, not to say that you shouldn't continue to try to be in those amazing things. It's also okay. If it doesn't go that way, because it puts you on a different path. It puts you in front of these people with these people that is going to be just as beautiful of a journey than what you originally thought. But I don't want you to, I I don't want listeners to like get disappointed because they set this expectation and they didn't achieve it for themselves. And oh my God, it it kills me when they set a time limit. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to LA. I've got five years. If I don't make it, that's it. And I'm just like, you can't put that pressure on yourself. Right. It's not fair. That's my biggest thing is, mm. is staying open to changing what you're, yep. you might've had as an original plan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I would never have imagined that I would be in film. I mean, I wouldn't right. have, originally I wouldn't have imagined I would be a choreographer either. Yeah. And then just things are changing. Not only do things not work out the way you thought that they would, and things take so much longer than the time frame that you ever thought that it would take, but also just the, everything's changing so fast. The industry is changing so much. And so, you know, what made sense two years ago makes no sense now or what just having, yeah, just as you said, just having sort of a willingness to sort of, yes, you want to push hard, but eventually start to see the warning signs, I guess. And that, that happened with my dance company where I was so, I am going to build this big dance company and I sacrificed my entire life for that thing. I mean, I didn't have friends. I mean, I, you know, I didn't hang out where I had friends, but like, I didn't hang out with them. (laughs) I didn't hang out with people. I didn't go on dates. I didn't do any, I had no hobbies. Mm. I didn't do anything for years. I was working 18 hours a day, um, seven days a week. I had a half a day off in three and a half years. And I seriously almost died. Like I just, I had such a collapse at some point and I read the writing on the wall. It was just like, this is just not, I'm seeing, you know, signs pointing me to this other direction. And at some point you just got to say, okay, maybe in the future, but it's not worth me fighting for something that's giving me absolutely nothing back in return. Right. Right. Looking for those signs. Yep. Absolutely. And I think going, my next question goes kind of hand in hand with that is creating a sustainable career in the arts. You know, you, you can't do 18 hours a day for seven days a week for 50 years, like until you retire, like, that's just not, 
possible. Like you're, you will just burn out completely. Equally, I think it's no secret that the dance industry and the arts community is very underappreciated as we talked about. And people, a lot of people believe that it's, we can't really make a living out of it which boils my blood, but I won't go there. Um, you know, I'm not saying like it, it won't be hard and you have to have really thick skin to kind of just push away what everyone else thinks and, and continue to chase that dream. And, and I admire anyone that does that. So going into it, what is your advice on creating a sustainable career? Yeah. Well, the first thing, and this is actually when I, when I teach my dance careers class in the different colleges that I teach mm. at, this is actually what I do day one, which I give them a sheet of all of these different statements. Like I want to have weekends off. Yeah. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have my healthcare covered for me. I want to have ultimate flexibility. I can drop at the, you know, anything that I'm doing at the drop of a hat. Um, I want to travel like all these other, all these things. I want to make more than 80,000 a year or something, you know, things like that. So it'd be this whole list of things. And then I have them answer these questions, but these are, you know, like 20 year old kids. So, (laughs) you know, what you think at 20 is not going to, but the thing is is that this stuff changes over time and to understand that, but to think about exactly like, what are your actual legitimate priorities right now? Not what you think you want. Cause there's, and you, Life will reveal what you truly want because you'll do what you want. There's this girl that I remember. She was like, oh, I want to, I'm this really motivated, like I'm this go-getter and I'm doing this and that. But then she's literally at home watching Netflix all the time. Like, okay, your actions are revealing the kind of life you want to live. You are stuck at your job because you like the life that you get to live. If you truly want to have this other life, then you're not going to be sitting there doing that. You're going to be going to school. You're going to be, you know, up late at night doing these other things. So things will naturally reveal themselves to you. But also just to think about if you want to have job security, if you want to know when your next paycheck's coming, if you want to have healthcare covered, all this other stuff, mm, being a dancer, not going to happen. You're not going to get that. Yeah. So it, you have to kind of decide, okay, is this ultimate dream that I have really coinciding with the lifestyle that I want to live? And just know that will change. Like what sounds exciting at 20? Oh, I want to travel the world. and I want to do this. Cruise ships, great. You get to travel. You get to meet all these people. You have a somewhat stable job for a certain period of time. Yeah. But then when you're 30 and you want to have kids, that isn't going to fly. So just kind of reevaluating that over time, but then also just understanding that diversification of where your money is coming from, understanding that yes, dance jobs, they'll make money, usually not much, um, but you've got to start, you've got to think about where is your money coming from? And then yes, okay, I'm, a, I'm auditioning, I'm getting all this stuff, but if you're thinking you're just going to get your money based off of doing a music video or doing this, it's just not going to happen. And so you're going to, I I think just kind of be shooting yourself in the foot before you really get started. Absolutely. That was my big thing was multiple income streams of not just relying on one type of job as a dancer, right? We mainly work freelance. We mainly work contract to contract unless like you said, you're at these top companies where, you know, you are a salaried dancer arming yourself with like different skills to do different things or investing in, I don't know. My husband and I talk about investing in property and things like that, just to 
just so that you've got this security net under you so that your art doesn't have to support you fully. Because I think that's a lot like when a lot of resentment can come towards your art is it's not supporting me. Why isn't it supporting me? I don't love it anymore. And then you're just in this whirlwind of mixed up thoughts in your head of, I love this. I want to do this, but it's not making the money and I can't live the lifestyle. Like you were saying that I want. Yeah. It's definitely tough. So not relying on one thing, but trying to find different, you know, filmmaking or, you know, going into media arts, anything like that, that dancers can easily switch and transition into why not try it? A lot of my friends are photographers. We just, we have that visual eye. Why not dabble and see where it can take you again? It's, it's that being open to maybe this is your path yeah, and that's okay. And it also is something somewhat related. So it can support your career as a dancer. So finding if you, I mean, to find something that makes money, but is also somehow tied in or can somehow relate that's when you kind of hit your sweet spot. It's the the times when I see people really sad or burned out or whatever are when they're trying to, they're really struggling trying to make it just off of dancing alone, or yeah. they have a job that's totally unrelated that also doesn't pay well. And then they're doing dance on top of that, where they're like, you know, baristas or they're doing retail and yeah okay, you're making money, but it's not a lot. And it also isn't feeding anything into what you're doing dance wise. So why don't you try to, even if it's a lower paying job, why don't you try to find something that somehow even just gets you in front of people that can, you can network with. So working the front desk at a dance center or graphic design or web designs, when you're designing, you know, you get hired by a dance company or a film company or whatever, something like that. So you're somehow just around the people that would be good to be around. Yeah, no, that's excellent advice. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you are also currently a professor of dance and you've taught at multiple colleges in both dance and film. Can you take me through that transition of going into teaching and then also some of the core values you like to instill in your students? I've been teaching my whole life. The teaching thing was the most natural. I always kind of knew to some degree. So that was kind of like when I was, I was this weirdo kid where I didn't like, I was, was like, okay. Cause I have three younger siblings and I was kind of there. I was sort of mom number two of the household. This very, you know, like very, I guess, precocious or whatever child or I'm like it's the older sibling syndrome. It's the older Absolutely. sibling yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and so it was like, okay, I'm designing summer school and I would design like full on curriculum for my siblings. And I would do like, we would do like business school. We do all these things where they had to create products and they would we'd sell it to my parents. Right. Like, do all these things where we, and then I'd put on shows, I would write theater shows and my siblings would perform it for my parents. And so I was doing kind of like all of these sort of things teaching wise. So it just kind of naturally progressed itself. So yeah technically my first job, I know this is going to sound, this is going to sound like very, um, I'm better than you, but I'm just being honest. My first job was actually being a professor, but it was, I was 14 years old and I knew this professor, her father was sick and she needed to go spend time with him. And she had this tap class and none of the people in their substitute reservoir could teach tap. And so she said, I need you to go teach my class. And so because I'm 14, I can't, 
go be a professor technically. So they hired someone to go sit in the classroom and she was the professor. And then they had me in there and I taught the rest of the semester. (laughs) Oh my God. So that was technically my first job. So, and I had like, you know, like I had to do little exams and all this kind of stuff, but yeah. So technically that, that, that has always just been more of a natural thing for me. It just kind of followed just sort of from there, you know, teaching here and teaching there. And so I've taught School settings, you, you know, uh, university, community college, dance studios, Pilates studios, you know, I've pretty much, if they're, if it's there and it's open, I've taught it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. Thinking back as well, I guess my, technically my first job was also teaching. Like my mom owned a studio yeah, and she needed a hip hop teacher and she did not do hip hop. There you go. And I had gone to like a lot of conventions and I had learned from like these top choreographers and just brought back what I learned from them. And I was the hip hop teacher. That's a great way, by the way, just for people out there, a lot of people that I know that are dance teachers now, they first gained jobs teaching even just like a camp or something with the studio that they grew up with. So nurturing those connections and even just letting your studio know, oh, I'm interested in teaching. Could I even just help you for free or whatever? Um, that's a really great way to get started. Yeah. At my company now, I actually run the teaching assistance program we have, and we have a group of people that submit and they help us with classes and we give them like training and things like that to help them along their teaching journey if they're interested in that. But yeah, I think it's, it's great for them to be around children learning from the teachers. So I'm proud to kind of support them along that journey, knowing that's also where I came from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and your job opportunities, like this has been surely the case for me, but I know it's not, it's very similar across for a lot of people. A lot of your job opportunities come from people that you know, and that people and people, they, they've seen your work, they see you, they like you. So like no joke, every one, except I think it was one. Yeah. Every single university teaching job that I've gotten, Mm. I've known the head of the department and they knew me and they liked me. If I had applied in a random field of people, I know I would not have gotten those jobs because I had less experience, but they knew me. And so I just emailed them or whatever. I stayed in touch. I met them. I stayed in touch. I went to their Christmas parties. I did all this stuff to nurture. And then I emailed and was like, Hey, I'm looking for a position. Oh, we actually just had a class pop up. We need you to teach. Great. Cool. I'm there. Done. Syllabus done. You know, that sort of thing. So you gain stuff through through, first of all, just being good at what you do, but also just when people see that you're good, maintaining those connections. Absolutely. 100%. Wrapping this episode up, uh, do you have any plans or aspirations for the future that you'd like to share with us? The very great, I'm, I'll put it out there. Fine. <laughs> you're going to catch me in this. So the very, very grand future plan is to, first of all, I mean, get this next feature film out and have it actually be good yeah. and celebrated. But, um, but to consistently, I have so many scripts that I have I have three total of three so far, but I have many others in the works, three feature film dance film scripts that I've already written. And I'm looking for producers to and production companies to actually pick them up and produce them. So I'd like to be creating to regularly have these feature films out there and for them to be successful, but then to have them as part of this kind of, I don't think that a film at these days and it, that it even should be just an isolated incident. I think that, especially with a dance film, it can be connected to 
eventually having a live performance version of it. So to have a film come out, but then a year or two years later or whatever, have a live, a specifically designed live performance version of the film, but then also to have social experiences that involve it. So a big interest of mine is to have films, live performances, and also to have these experiences where people come and they get to actually interact with either the choreography that you're doing or with characters that you've already built. But I envision, you know, taking these large spaces and designing them into these like little, this maze that people go through and they interact with different components or parts of the film that I've created. And so in this room, you get to create a face dance with this character does this face dance in this film. Okay, now learn the movements. Now we're going to record you doing the face dance and then we'll superimpose the costume on you or whatever so that they get to have their own face dance to take home. And then in this room, okay, now you have to make the lipstick or whatever that was in this film. And so then there'd be someone they make lipstick in here and they get to go through all these rooms and have these experiences that are related to the film that they saw, but it's, it's very experiential. And then it would dump into this large dance room where they get to learn choreography and then they get to have a dance party, but sort of that's like the grand vision of all of these things being very tied together. Oh my gosh. My jaw is just on the floor. <laughs> I'm so excited. Can I have a ticket now? I'm coming. <laughs> that's like so much fun. That's, that's the goal. Um, you know, and, and just, and also not only, so that's like the, the full vision of all of these three things coming together. Yeah. Um, but then in the very, we're talking like this would be when I'm 60 years old or something, <laughs> if I make it that long. Um, but I, something that I've kind of gotten into recently has been line dancing and it's been such a really fun and I did salsa as well. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan cause I'm such a horrible partner dancer. <laughs> I just like, I cannot follow. I just, it just goes oh, against yeah. everything in me where they're like, turn your brain off, just turn your brain off, just follow. And I'm like, but I've been training my whole life to not turn my brain off and to lead. Yeah. So it doesn't work. But the line dancing thing has been great. So, um, but what I found really magical about it is the community that's built on it. And the word community is so thrown around these days where it just kind of makes me like, you know, I just, I can't stand it. Where they're like, oh, we're building community around this NFT or whatever, these silly things. But in terms of the, when I see these people, they come together and they all know, we all know the same choreography to these same dances. And if you don't, you learn it and you get better over time, but everybody comes regularly and everybody knows the same dances. So it's not just this drunk free for all on the floor where it's all sexualized and everyone's trying to grind up against each other. And it's people know this very simple choreography and we're all performing it together. Yeah. And there's something so magical about that shared experience, but I really would love to do something like that and create and like open up my own place or have something like that, but where it's not, you know, salsa or it's not line dance, not country line dancing, but where it's like, I want to do something that's a little younger and a little bit more, you know, jazzy fun. And so that has where I choreograph these super simple, super simple dances, um, but that it becomes like kind of a jazzy poppy version of like a line dancing kind of thing yeah. where people learn these dances. So anyway, those are very Super big future fun. goals, but we'll see. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm here for it. I support it. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. I will be there. 
Uh, wow. We've covered so much in this episode. Would you mind sharing all of your details so that people can follow along to see everything that you're going to be up to in the future? And is there a place that people can watch these films or check out some clips? I have bits of stuff on my website. The most recent film that I have is not online because it's in the film festival circuit, but it, um, so uh, you can go to my website, Caroline Liviakis, L-I-V-I-A-K-I-S.com. Um, on there, I have samples of my work and a lot of behind the scenes photos. And you can kind of see pretty much everything there. But if you just find me on YouTube, um, I've got a bunch of samples of work on there as well. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Dancer's Guide podcast. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you. It's been mind-blowing, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Loved hearing about your journey. Thank you so much. Ugh, I am here for everything Caroline is about. She is such a pioneer in the dance film arena, and I cannot wait to see what she does next. On the next episode, I'll be joined by a literal living legend. A Verdon Fossey master teacher and 11-time Broadway veteran, Mary Ann Lamb. This episode is split into two, so make sure to tune into both to hear Mary Ann's full journey and professional advice. You do not want to miss this. You can follow us on Instagram at A Dancer's Guide Official, and also visit our website, adancersguide.com, for more dance inspiration. Always remember, stay confident, be humble. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.